0: Welcome to Improvement, the podcast show. My name is Ichiro Takahashi, and each week we bring you the person or the message that will help you improve your life. Thanks for tuning. Now, let's begin your journey. This week, the CEO of Zero Negativity Clothing and former police officer, Dan Gont, joins me to talk about mental health issues, the fashion industry, how he basically networked his way through, the importance of an engaged audience when working with influencers, and so much more. With his business, Dan has saved an estimated of 3 million liters of water, or enough water to sustain 4,281 people for a full year. So, without further to say, please enjoy. Welcome to The Improvement Show, Dan. How are you doing? Thank you very much. Great. I'm good, yeah. Good, thank you. That's awesome, man. Um, I'm just so excited. Um, And as I told you, I did my homework, and after all the things I read and also watched about you, I I, now I admire you even more. But but for the people listening who don't know what I know, would you tell them who you are?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm just a normal guy from... uh, from a town near manchester in england um i'm 29 years old now and i have been through quite a lot in my time i would suppose so um just as a bit of background i, I was a police officer for five years here in um in the uk and during that time um i had some real issues with mental health post-traumatic stress uh depression those kind of things And in the end, I had five or six months off work from what I was doing and and it it got to quite a dangerous place, really. Um, And in the end, I had therapy and counselling and medication, things like that. But ultimately, what kind of dragged me out of it and what still keeps me um, focused now is is this idea of um, a mindset and a zero negativity mindset. So I left the police and I started um, a clothing company. And the idea behind that was to um, help people by, we we give a, a product away for everyone that we sell of our own branded stuff. So it, it helps people who are going through all sorts of different problems um, with clean fresh new clothing that they perhaps wouldn't have been able to get hold of otherwise Mm. so that's kind of the ethos behind what we do and um and yeah i had no experience of a clothing company or anything like that before and to be honest i'm not entirely sure where the idea came from but um but that's kind of where where we are with it and and that's how i try to live my life with that kind of zero negativity um ethos and mindset behind everything that i do
0: that's awesome, man. And I love, I love that you actually um, answered something that I was about to, to ask you later about yeah. the where the idea come from. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> I have no answer for that. <laughs> but but le, le, let me, let's start by, by this. I really want to, to dive into this because you mentioned you served as a police officer. Yeah. And I know that I, that, that experience has an impact on your life, specifically on mm-hmm. your mental wellness. And itself, also connect in some way to your clothing brand, um, which I, I want to talk about later. So mm. first, could you tell me more about that specific period of your of your life?
1: Yeah, so I was quite young when I uh, joined. I was twenty three, and um, I, I don't know really. whether it was something that I I didn't really know when I started what what it would entail, like I knew it would involve, you know, some some not very nice things and long hours and, and being tired and, and the rest of it and some violence and things like that. But I wasn't prepared for the strain that it put on not only you as a person, but the relationships that you have with your family and mm-hmm. um, and friends and things like that because your social patterns are just totally messed up. So yeah, that that period for the first maybe two or three years, I really enjoyed it and my life changed completely because I moved to a new town in order to do it and uh, left my family behind and mm. it was only really, um, I'd, I'd dealt with just one too many traumatic experiences and it, I started to develop symptoms of PTSD. I didn't know that at the time, but just not being able to focus properly and um, having flashbacks and things like that and not being able to sleep properly, anxiety. And in the end, um, it was probably five or six months after the kind of major incident that I had issues with um, before I actually admitted that there was a problem and took some time off work. So it was a dark time and it was, you know, the, it's one of those um, jobs where it's it's getting better, but at the time, it was one of those jobs where admitting you have a mental health problem, um, and in particular, something from what you've been dealing with, is kind not frowned upon, but it's kind of... People don't openly talk about it and, and don't admit it to each other. And um, fortunately, from the friends I still have in the police that is beginning to change and people are getting more open about talking about their problems but especially for me at the time I didn't really feel like I could open up and and admit to myself what was what was going on so I had some brilliant times in the police and the 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 people I will always miss the the people who I worked with because they're some of the best people you could ever meet and I know people have got their own opinions on police officers and and how how they work and things like that. But 99% of the people I ever met were the most stand-up, loyal um, and, you know, bravest, most courageous people I've ever met. So I learned a lot. Um, and it was just for me at, at the end of it, after I'd been through all that and I went back to work and I did another another 12 or 18 months before I actually left the police. um, And it was just time for me to move on. And I've just kind of outgrown that part of my life. I think so. Mm. So yeah, that's that's. I have I have good memories, also some bad memories, but mainly good. I'm sorry. Dan. yeah, you still there?
0: Oh, awesome, awesome. Um, I think that well, you mentioned something that that in, in the in in that area, right? Like that field is is. It's hard to open up uh, but i think that mm. when it goes down to mental health is something that actually is really right now is currently uh, not not a lot of people is like that open mm. about that yeah. um i want to ask you two questions first before that experience with uh, as a police officer do you have mm. have any type of connection with mental wellness
1: no not really no mm. i didn't i hadn't struggled with anything like that before my dad had had some issues with anxiety and things but mm. i was kind of shielded from that and um and he dealt with his issues and and changed it was it was career based again and he mm. changed his job and his career focus and and got himself better and but apart from that, I had no kind of experience of it and no, certainly no work with any mental health professionals or charities or anything like that. Um, but it was it actually when I was policing, I was exposed obviously to quite a lot of dealing with people who were having mental health issues and mental health crimes. Oh. Mm. Go to, you
0: know,
1: suicide and self harm. And it's mm. only kind of. Through dealing with those things, that I maybe actually started to realise that there was some of those tendencies I could see in myself in what I was what I was doing. Because um, without without that experience, I maybe wouldn't have spotted it. So it was a valuable lesson.
0: Mm, I got it. And when did you tell yourself, "Dan, we are done here"? What was your break point?
1: Do you mean um, for going off work with an issue or or just leaving the police in general? Yeah,
0: leaving the police in general. Um,
1: I think it, it came to a point where I felt like I'd done really, really well to get myself well enough to get back to work. And and then when, once I was there, I enjoyed a few kind of... Um, a few kind of months where I was just glad of being back at work and, and that I'd managed to get myself to that point. But then I realised quite quite quickly that it wasn't making me happy and it's, mm. it was such a big part of my life um, yeah. because, like I say, your social calendar is just totally messed up. You're working nights and weekends and the rest of it. Yeah. That I didn't have the chance really to see my family and things like that. So, I. Uh, when I realised it wasn't making me happy, that was kind of the decision made. And it was just, right, well, if I'm going to leave, what am I going to do next? Um, and it just yeah. took me a bit of time to kind of figure that out. But the decision had already been made when when that kind of penny dropped that um, yeah. I, I wasn't happy anymore. So, so that's kind of, to me your work it's very important that what you do for work makes you happy or at least doesn't make you sad because you you spend such an inordinate amount of time doing it you spend more time at work than you often do with your family members so it's a very important part of your life and you should try and I always think you should try and do something for work that means you don't look forward to the weekends and don't look forward to your holidays just as an escape, you know what I mean? It should be a, a case of looking forward to a Monday morning um, because you've got all this stuff to do and you're you're ready to go and, and do what you love.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you, Then mm. I would love you to, to walk me through the process you followed to improve your mental health. How do you reach a strong um, and positive mindset, after all, what you went through? Um,
1: to be honest, I, I don't know if there was... a a particular process I went through I I had some counselling so uh, because of the condition I had which was PTSD I had something called EMDR therapy which is a bit like hypnotherapy uh, and it's about reprocessing your brain's reaction to memory Um, so when you think about or have a flashback or you think about a particular traumatic incident when you have PTSD your body and your mind goes into overdrive because it thinks it's happening again and you start to panic. Mm. Um, and EMDR therapy is a way of reprocessing that so that you don't have the same reaction. You'll never forget what happened, but you you won't panic as much as you did before and won't have those same reactions. So I'd had that for a few months. And then, to be honest, this the mindset that I adopted this kind of zero negativity thing Um, and uh, you probably won't know who they are over there but in in the UK we have a program on TV called SAS Who Dares Wins and it's a team of ex-special forces soldiers who basically put a team of civilians through special forces selection as as kind of condensed version of special forces selection and they're, they're having watched that um that program is not all about rough tough soldiers it's about the stories behind it um so there's three or four of these four um soldiers and they tell their own stories about the things that they'd been through and the ways they got through it and um and that really helped um and one of them in particular has this kind of ethos of not you know not letting that negativity kind of Breed through everything because if obviously if some of those guys have worked in toughest of situations across the world and then and if any kind of negative energy will will bring down a, a mission, so to speak. So it's that kind of thing. I saw it as it's it's my kind of mission to get myself well enough and get myself better. And the only way to do that is to change the way that I'm thinking about um about my situation, about my mental health, about my career and think positively, take the positives from everything. And, and it made me think, you know, I, I used to get really um, angry and upset at work when I was policing because there'd be so much injustice in in the world and so much kind of uh, people who just, you know, would not help themselves no matter what you know, what the kind of society tried to do they just would were, were what I would deem to be like bad people and it changed my mindset on those kind of things because I thought not necessarily that their lives um could change but I was thankful that I wasn't in that situation that my life hadn't turned out like that even though I had my struggles, I was thankful and grateful that I at least you know hadn't you didn't struggle with drug issues, didn't struggle with alcohol issues or anything like that, or are any major, major, major mental health problems. So just little things like that, just the way you think about things changes. Um, and to, you know, And then even so much as thinking I'm not happy in my career, rather than wallowing in it and thinking, right, well, I'm stuck in it now. Then I thought, right, what can I do to change it? What can I do to turn this into an opportunity to do something different? And not only that, but make myself happier and and help other people as well.
0: Mm, that's that's also awesome, man the way that you reframe your life mm. in like, the perspective. Like, I'm grateful that it's not you're well. You, I'm pretty sure you're grateful of the things that you are and you have, but you also are grateful of the bad things that you don't suffer. Yeah, that you are not. That's awesome man. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, before we keep going, big thank you to our sponsor today, Play. Creating a successful marketing campaign or even a social media post can require a long time spent on research. And saving time in a world that goes so fast was never more important. That's why I want to thank you about Play. Play makes it easy for you to access the training content in your niche, discover relevant keywords under search volume, and learn the latest marketing strategies. No marketing experience required, it's easy to set up with a few tabs and available on the go. It's like having a marketing team in your pocket. And all that for the price of a coffee. All you have to do is go to the App Store on iOS or to Google Play on Android and download it. Now, let's get back with the episode. Let's talk about your clothing. On negativity clothing, because I read, yeah, um, the brand was born out of your struggles with mental health, and I also read that you you and your wife had this idea when you saw expensive design t shirts around John Lewis. I would love yeah. to know how everything is connected. Is that something you could elaborate on?
1: Yeah, um, my well, she's not my wife anymore, unfortunately, but um, I'm, at sorry. The time, I'm, I'm sorry, um, no, sorry. Um yeah, so basically that's kind of how it came about. I, I've got no experience in the clothing industry whatsoever, but we were in um a John Lewis store which is which was near to where we lived at the time, and um we were just in there looking at clothing and um picked a t shirt up and thought, God, I think it was about sixty pounds or something, this t shirt, and um I just thought there's no way this needs to be this expensive. Yet not not any good for the planet and not any good for the people that are involved in that process other than the kind of big corporation. So that's kind of that's kind of where the idea started. How can we do something that can provide us an, an income, but also um, can uh, can help people along the way? And that's kind of where we started with our process and um, and, that, and how we got to where we are today.
0: Was it a moment of realization or you were building up the idea?
1: No, there wasn't such a a moment like a light bulb moment. There was just over time it developed. Um, and my dad and family helped me with the business and setting it up and everything. And, um, my wife at the time, obviously was a big part of that and a great support and happy to help. And, um, it, yeah, it was just it just built up over time. It started with, right, well, how can we source the T-shirts or the hoodies or whatever it is? Mm. Where can we get them from? Can we make sure that they are kind to the environment? Can we make sure that um, the people that are involved in that supply chain are, um, are looked after and paid fairly and have fair working conditions? Mm. Um, and it was... It was only if we could tick that box that we moved on to the next stage and, and we managed to find all of those things. So then we moved on to how do, we, how do we decorate them? How do we print the designs on them? Where do we get the designs from? How do we distribute them? And, and it was everything that we did, we wanted to have a positive impact. So um, even down to the designs themselves come from student graphic designers, who we give an opportunity to to kind of show their work and yeah, um, and some of those yeah. have had some they've had some brilliant opportunities off the back of the the chance we've given them so that's great um but even think the environmental thing is a big thing for us as well a lot of the stuff that we get uh, is completely carbon neutral everything is organic cotton or recycled polyester um we don't and and we will turn down um because we do a lot of business to business wholesale stuff as well, mm. we will turn down clients who we don't think are a good fit for us. If they're just trying to use it as a bit of a greenwashing tactic, then we will say, no, we we want to work with people who are genuinely trying to help the environment and help people. Um, and that's, and that's kind of, we stick to that as a principle of our business.
0: I see, man. I see. Um, What I think is awesome. Well, I have a lot of questions, to be honest. But what mm. I love is that you had no experience with design, and you yeah. figured it out. You figured out a way to make it work by connecting with um, design stud- students, right? Yeah. Yeah. How how that idea so came to your mind?
1: Um, I was do- at the time. I was doing um, a master's degree. Uh, as well as well as policing and starting a new business because I'm just one of those people who takes too much on but um, so I was studying for a degree in history and um, I don't really know I just kind of thought there must be um, lots of people who are very creative and know what they're doing within the university and. who would, would relish the opportunity to put those designs on a t-shirt or whatever and and there was so I went and did kind of some talks with some students and just kind of explained the idea and had maybe five or six of them approach me and say yeah I'd love to get involved and they still they still get involved now and the majority of the designs that are on the website are ones that have been done by um students uh, who have then gone on to do bigger and better things and it's just that that i think as an entrepreneur if you want to call it that then if it's got to be about if you don't know how to do something rather than let that kill the idea yeah. you either figure out how to do it or you find somebody who can so that's that's the way i've always worked and as a business we try to never say no we always say we'll give it a try yeah. You know, if if a if a client comes to us and says, "Can you do this particular product in this particular um, textile?" Even if that's not something we currently offer, we'll always say, "Give us a couple of weeks and we'll see what we can do." So it's the same ethos through everything, really. You know, if I don't had I didn't have any experience in the accounting side of business or um, the pack postage and packaging or any of that kind of thing, but I learned how to do it because I needed to. Um, so that's that's kind of how I've
0: always approached everything with the business. And that's that's awesome. Actually, I I, I share that mindset with you. That if you don't know mm. how to do something, there is always someone that knows how to do it. You know? Yeah. But to connect with people, this is what I think. Um, you need to know what they want because. I, yeah. I believe that nothing comes out of nothing. Like you got to give something, and they're gonna give you something. So they provide yeah. you of the design. What, what was your mm-hmm. your idea when when you were like in this sort of negotiation? What what was your your pitch, so to say?
1: Um, well, I, the way I pitched it was that one, they would be helping a new startup, um, environmentally friendly business. They'd be helping the people who were given the donated t-shirts and we would give them obviously credit for all the designs. Mm. So the website that's currently up is a bit of a temporary one as it's being redone. But on the the website as it was first launched and as it will be in a couple of weeks' time when the new one is launched, um, there's an effect. In fact, I think there is a page still on the website that's about our creatives and gives a little bio about them and why they wanted to get involved. Awesome. So we agreed to obviously give mm. them credit. We're not precious about the copyright and stuff like that of the designs. So we've said to them, we're happy for them to use the designs in portfolios, mm. happy to give them references um, for any kind of work that they need in the future. And a big thing as well is about them seeing it as an op- as a gateway opportunity, because there is um, one designer in particular called Alyssa who works with us, who, um, you know, when we get little projects that come in from other businesses. So an example is um, a museum that we work with in Manchester. They um, needed some illustration doing for a book and also for some clothing that they wanted doing. And I said, well, I know a a great student designer who Mm. can do that for you. So, she off the back of that has been given commissions um, to work with them and, and it's given her some real brilliant experience mm. as well as now actually paying her a wage so or, or at least a, some money in her pocket while she's studying. Mm. So it's that kind of, when they see it as a long-term thing in terms of the opportunity, it could yeah. give them you know, 6, 9, 12 months down the line or even longer, then that's when the real value comes through i think some of some people might look at it and say well i'm just giving you a design for free and i'm not getting anything in return yeah um and that that's true essentially but in terms of a longer term picture yeah you know we we make sure to look after people and give them opportunities where we can and um and now we are them for work then then we do Um, and anything that comes through we can now pay them on a freelance basis to do it uh, because they gave yeah. us that chance in the in the beginning, and so we now have to give them the same chance back. It's it's just fair at the end of the day, isn't it?
0: Man, I love that you basically network your way to the to where you are now. Um, yeah, I try creating, to. Yeah, Yeah, I love that man because you also create a lot of connection with influencers over there in the UK, yeah. right? How cool you you tell me that story?
1: um that that has kind of been more luck than judgment to be honest um we got in touch with a guy called Ed who runs a mental health campaign um called the it's o okay k campaign and uh, it's about encouraging people to talk it's and saying it's okay to to not be okay and it's okay mm. to talk about your feelings and all that and they have a network of celebrity ambassadors or um, mm. and influencer ambassadors in the u k so we said to them, we'll produce the merchandise for you and the, and the merchandise profits go to a mental health charity yeah. um, and we will obviously provide T-shirts or whatever to your celebrity ambassadors to try and raise some attention. So as a part of that, what we did was contact them and it was never a hard sell kind of situation. When we sent them a, a T-shirt for the campaign, we put a letter in the box that explained who we are, what we do, um, and and basically said, if you ever want to work with us, then then we're we're here. Um and we have had quite a few who have who have got involved with that. Um and even to the point where I was only on a, a Skype call earlier today with um one of our influencers called I say our influencer, she's she's an an influencer who works with us, um, called Leah, who's an absolutely lovely, lovely girl. Um, who's brilliant at the social media side of things and the match, which I'm not an expert in, so again it's that kind of networking your way into figuring out how yep. to do things, so she is kind of helping us with branding and social media and things like that um and it's all again like like you say it's it's networking your way through because we met her at an event that we did with the mental health charity last year and just stayed in touch. Um, and then when opportunities come up, then I'm always kind of on the phone and seeing who wants to get involved and who can help out. So, um, so yeah, it's, that's been good. And something influencer marketing is an interesting one for me because I yeah. don't think it's I don't think it's all it's cracked up to be. When we first started, we thought that that was the golden ticket. If you had a celebrity wearing one of your t-shirts, you'd sell millions of pounds worth, and that would be it. You you know. Uh, and it's just not the case because we have had um, celebrities with with a million, million and a half followers putting their putting our t-shirts on and putting them on their Instagram page, and it doesn't really result in any sustained jump mm. in sales. Wow! In in reality, and this is the conversation I was having today with Leah. It's about audience and about targeting the right people, yes. um, who yeah. are following that particular celebrity or whatever. Who might only have 10,000 followers, but if their followers are engaged with them because they want to know about the clothing they're wearing rather than because they were on some TV program, mm. that's that is far more valuable. So, that's that's a big lesson that I've learned, and again, is something I've only really learned because of through the networking kind of situation and speaking to people who know about that kind of thing and, and can give me advice. Um, so yeah, it, influence marketing is an interesting one. I'm I'm not a big expert on it, but it's not kind of it's a difficult one to navigate. I think as a as a new startup business.
0: No, but but I but I agree, I agree with you. It, it makes mm. sense that you want to to target like the right niche, so to say. So yeah. it is my question: How do you, if you actually um, thought of your niche? Did did you had you have your niche like figured out? before you started the brand um, throughout the the process how
1: i i think we've really only discovered our niche in the last 2 or 3 months okay. i think at first we knew it wanted we knew it was going to be sustainable we wanted everything to be sustainable and environmentally friendly and then the focus originally was on the um the charity side of it the fact that something gets given away for everything that's bought which is great and we still do it, Mm. but what we realised is more people care about the environment. More people are likely to Google um, environmentally friendly t-shirt or organic t-shirt than they are likely to Google t-shirt where one gets given away. You see what I mean? So we thought, right, which one of those things appeals to the most people? And is that easy for us to quantify and put into um, uh, something that's that's easy for people to understand and it is so our our kind of headline marketing if you want to call it that thing now is that all the products are sustainable and yes we do a nice thing for charity as well with each sale but the main selling point is that it's sustainable and i think we're in terms of business to business wholesale um thing we deal with a lot of universities colleges um museums charities who who buy a lot of clothing already and the idea was to rather than target people who don't buy clothing and try and convince them that they need to buy it we looked at people who already buy a lot of clothing and then all you have to do is convince them to change the supplier and that's kind of the that was kind of the uh, um the process in terms of targeting customers so universities i don't know what it's like where you are but over here universities all have um a hoodie or a sweatshirt with the name of it on and yeah. every every all the students buy one so this universities will buy tens of thousands of hoodies and uh sweatshirts and things every year so what we do is is we go to them and say um by by switching to our brand um and our our process because the whole process from start to finish is sustainable it's not just the product it's the shipping the printing uh, the packaging everything we even offset um all of the uh, electricity that we use in the workshop and things like that um by switching what you're doing is you're saving this amount of water this amount of energy and this amount of co2 emissions and we can calculate that um so you've actually got some numbers to give someone so that so that there's a real tangible thing.
0: Mm. So
1: we, let me just, I'll just pull the statistics off. Um, and we, it's just doing things like turning it into a, um,
0: a like, you mean the, the uh, same liters of water that you say?
1: Yeah. So that kind of thing where awesome. rather than just saying it's 10,000 liters of water. Yeah. So if I just look at one hoodie, for example, so one hoodie Um, will save over 9,000 litres of water as as opposed to a conventional cotton hoodie. If you use an organic cotton hoodie, which is what we sell, it'll save 9,000 litres of water. So a lot of people think that sounds like a great number, but they've no idea what that actually means. So what we do is convert that into how many people um, could have clean drinking water Mm. as a result of that. So that, that, Calculation works out that one hoodie saves enough water to give twelve people um, clean drinking water for a full year, and that wow. when you when you give people that kind of statistic, that's when it really impacts them. So you just had the wow moment then as well, didn't you? And and that's that that kind of turning it into a people focused strategy as opposed to just big numbers is 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 kind of been the way that we've always gone about it.
0: Man, I, I have two main questions that I want to, to <laughs> because actually I love it actually I was saving that that well I'm saving the statistics uh, to to <laughs> to make the intro for you because I mm. found them like dude it's, it's it's crazy like the you can with all the energy that you saved mm. you can keep a 60 watt bulb lit for yeah. five years I think that yeah. that's amazing. again but Going back to to what we were talking about, I want to know first, um you I know that you believe business should be working towards a circular economy, and I agree. But yeah. in your opinion and experience, what would you say are the factors that prevent a business from choosing the, the that system over the linear one?
1: Um I think to be to be blunt with you, I think a lot of the time it's price. I think people are mm. used to now paying. So, a T-shirt, for example, one of the big uh, analogies that we use is that your T-shirt should not cost less than a, than your cup of coffee. So, in the UK, we have a big store called Primark. I don't know if you've got it um, over over there, but uh, and it's basically a very cheap um, high street retailer of clothing, and you can go in there and buy a T-shirt for two pounds, two pound fifty. And when you think about the uh, process...
0: That's not an organic T-shirt, right? No, no, no. That's just a standard cotton or a polyester
1: okay. T-shirt. Okay. So, but be- because people are happy to do that because it's cheap, and but they don't think about the environmental impact of that. So, a standard cotton T-shirt will use 2,700 litres of water to, to, to make a standard cotton T-shirt, just one. So... If it's And it's a crazy amount. Um, and when you look at the, um, the CO2 statistics as well, it takes about seven kilos of CO2 uh, emissions. So with a, an organic cotton one from, from our particular suppliers, they're completely carbon neutral. So you save seven kilos of, of CO2 every single time. Um, and when people know that, it makes them start to think. But in reality, that costs more. So if if you want a, a supply chain where the environment's looked after, the people who have um, farmed the cotton are paid properly, people who have harvested it, turned it into a textile, then turned it into a, a garment, and then shipped it to whichever country it's going to. If you can buy that T-shirt for £2.50... Those people have not been paid properly they've not yeah. lived in uh, worked mm. in in decent conditions there's just no way that it's possible as well for the retailer to then make a, a massive margin on it as well mm. so I think it's mainly cost because if everybody switched over to to organic it would make everything cheaper for everybody um, but because there is an option of doing it for two pound two pound fifty people yeah. will take it because because they they earn more and um, retailers will do it. and Manufacturers will do it because they're more interested in the profits than the people. Um, and that's not the case for everybody, yeah. but I'm sure that is the case for a lot of, a lot of businesses. They could, if they wanted to move to sustainable materials and better working practices, but they won't because it will cost them too much. So I think there is definitely a way forward in terms of a circular economy um Type thing for fashion. We are in particular looking at trying to um, involve a, start a recycling program, so that when you've bought one of our items uh, at the end of its lifespan, you can post it back to us and it will be recycled into another T-shirt or whatever. Mm. So th- we're trying, we're trying to implement that at the moment to really turn it into a proper circular economy. So um,
0: I- I'm sorry, I'm yeah. sorry. Please keep going.
1: No, no alright, that that that's just something that we're doing to try and to try and implement it ourselves um along with all our other kind of sustainability programs but it's it's a difficult one and it is it sometimes it feels like you're fighting a losing battle but you've got to just keep positive and keep going with it because that each day there are more and more people and more and more businesses we speak to um about it who say, yeah, that's a great idea, let's do it, and, and just keep moving forwards. Um, and eventually, sustainable clothing, I'm sure, will be the norm, um, and, I, and I hope it will.
0: Yeah, so in order for, for uh, businesses to adopt a circular economy system, we all should switch to, to, to organic um, clothing and, and materials, right? If we all move towards that type of, um, how can you call I it think system? It's going to be cheaper.
1: I think yeah. The, obviously, there's supply and demand, isn't it? If there's more demand, then there's more supply. And I think what happens, unfortunately, is the manufacturers, retailers, and, and big, big, big fashion businesses put the onus back on the um, the consumer and say, well, if if you if you wanted it, then you have to pay more for it. So oh, cool. you see what I mean? They give them that opportunity to say to to turn it down because it's more expensive. And I yeah. think what what say a a big H and M or somebody a big big fashion retailer if they said right, all of our stuff is now going to be sustainable, then there would be no price difference. So you see what I mean? If you take the choice away from people so do it in a in a in a non kind of uh, exploitative way of the environment then then it, it it helps but i think the the big thing has to be um is buying from the big corporates from big fashion businesses they have to be the one that turn the tides and the big fast fashion retailers have to be the ones that get on board with it because it's all well and good me as a small business owner and you as a consumer and Joe blocks in the street um mm. saying I want I want to buy an organic t-shirt that that's that's it's one tiny voice isn't it and if you really really want to make change it has to be the ones that are manufacturing millions of t-shirts and millions of pairs of jeans and things like that every year they are the ones that need to make the biggest change Um, And it's great, obviously, for the individual consumer to get on board and want to buy sustainable clothing. But it doesn't it doesn't change the kind of big picture, which which has to be ultimately governments and things like that making policies about um, about clothing. Because what we found when we deal with um, councils and universities and other public kind of bodies, mm. is their sustainability policies completely just brush over clothing. It's not something that's thought about. Um, and they'll, they'll, they'll think about not using plastic cups and cutting down on the amount of water they use and the amount of printing they do. But in terms of the clothing that they buy, it's something that's just completely gone over their heads. And that's where we think we've spotted a bit of a niche in the market, that there's nobody uh, currently jumping in there On a wholesale business to business basis, saying, Well, we can help you with that. You haven't thought about sustainable clothing, but we have. So let's let us do it for you and let us help you out. And this is the savings that you could make. And this the transition is very easy because they already buy clothing. We're just asking them to switch suppliers. So,
0: yeah, I read that you had, and to keep going with this topic, I read that you had three. I'm gonna quote, so to say, your your caption, uh, biggest frustrations with the clothing industry. Yeah. Um that and you mentioned one that it was the the coffee conundrum, um playing at it and apathy. But what what I'm trying to go is that you mentioned early that you um went to universities yeah. to make deals, right? Uh to become the supplier of hoodies um, and so yeah. on. I want to know this to be to be more more specific if you faced in any of those negotiations right with companies like back to business to business uh, or universities any type of uh how how to how to say it um objection mm-hmm. uh, could be price right um, or whatever mm-hmm. and if you found a way to to work with that objection, mm-hmm. objection yeah. right? To overcome it. and um, If you could tell me and elaborate on,
1: on yeah. that. Um, yes, we have. We have faced that a couple of times where sometimes it's based on price and that is where we use the coffee cup conundrum, like we said, where if when, when you explain to people the process that that clothing has to go through and if they're currently paying, you know, pound fifty for a t-shirt wholesale, that that people in that supply chain probably haven't been treated very well. And, you know, we're not selling, as we see it, we don't sell a comparable product. Yes, they're both T-shirts, but they've gone through a totally different process and they're made of different materials and printed in different ways. Mm. So that's kind of how we go about that. We don't compare ourselves to their current supplier. Um, and and we encourage them to kind of ask ask their consumers, so for a university, for example, um, if you've got a university that's buying hoodies and they currently retail them at twenty pounds for argument's sake, but ours might cost a little bit more, um, we say to them, well, why don't you ask the students? Because if you if you're a student and you know you you care about climate change and the environment and you get given the option of mm. you can actually you can have the normal one that we've been selling for years for twenty pounds. Or you can have a sustainable one um, that's carbon neutral and has saved all this water, but it's £25. The vast majority of students will go with that. And sometimes I think it's businesses and universities are scared of change because they don't because they've never done it before. We've always bought our clothing from this particular place and that's that's the way it is. And it's only when you start to challenge that and but ask them to ask the end consumer. That they realize actually yes that's a good idea and we present them with statistics that we found um, through student surveys about how much um, what kind of weighting students give to environmental issues and the overwhelming majority of students really do care about sustainability and think that their universities should be making more of an effort on sustainability so when you give them those statistics and then you give them the problem and then you give them the solution which is you can buy sustainable clothing from us it's it's often a very good way of breaking down any of those objections to price um and and to the the difficulty of changing suppliers which in reality isn't that difficult but some people just don't like change but yeah, when you give them a problem and then the solution all in one go, it, it really helps.
0: Well, um, first, I believe that actually it's not just businesses, but we as part of our human nature is that we don't like yeah. change. Do you agree? Yeah,
1: yeah, I do. Yeah. And I think it's only once yeah, you embrace. Right. I think I spent a lot of time like that. And, the, you know, aside from business, just personally, not, you know, not wanting to challenge the status quo and, and going along with things, and that's, mm. you know, as a police officer, that's what you do—you maintain status quo. You don't like change and things like that. And I think that's one reason why I wasn't happy with it. Because, on a personal kind of note, I think that change and growing and learning and knowledge are some of the kind of biggest, biggest things in terms of making yourself happy. You should be constantly looking at, yeah. right, if this doesn't make me happy, I have to change it. And if this doesn't work for me, I have to change it. And there's no reason why that shouldn't happen in business either. Like When when you suggest when there's a problem, people come up against a problem and you offer the, them a solution Then that solution involves change of some sort. I understand that people are scared of it and it's against our nature, but when you embrace it, that's when opportunity arises and um, that's definitely where we've seen our our opportunities arise from.
0: Yeah, man. I I agree with you 100%, mm-hmm. man. Um, do you think that in order to be successful, say business uh, or any type of entrepreneurial venture, you have to be open to change? You have to be flexible? Yeah, definitely. I think flexibility yeah. in business, especially early
1: in business when you're starting out, we started out as a as a as a fashion brand that sold two different types of white t shirt and now we do web hosting we do bulk we do drop shipping print on demand all sorts and we have over a thousand different um products to choose from so and and that's just been added to every single day and that's within eighteen months that this business has been running so that it, it, yeah, it's adapt or die, isn't it? Like when when the market changes or a customer comes to you and says, "Right, I like what you do, but I need it to be slightly different." If you say no, that's that's a customer lost, and that's potentially one of the you know, it's some one customer leads to another leads to another, and everybody needs something slightly different, unless it's going to cost you a fortune mm. and and ruin the rest of your business. Then I don't see any reason why anybody shouldn't just adapt to it, change and and then kind of forge a new path. And they say, don't they, that my dad keeps saying to me that the path to success isn't a straight line, it's a zigzag, curly-whirly spiral. Um, and that's definitely true. Yeah. You have to keep changing and adapting and moving with your clients, customers, the market, everything. Um, and things like coronavirus as well, that if you were on a completely linear path that and a plan that could not be deviated from, coronavirus would kill your business because especially in our business yeah. we can't now go and visit any universities we can't um none of the places are open for people to go and buy these things there's no students at universities so our online business has then again become the focus of what we've done while while we've been on lockdown um because we've got that ability to adapt and we're willing to adapt very quickly to things which so it's, it's key definitely well,
0: so- Awesome, man. Awesome. You mentioned, I love what you say, by the way, and I love, you know what, and this is like a, a, an extra, I love to make uh, podcasts, like interview people because I learn so much. Yeah. I, I just, I, I admire completely how the mind of people works. Um, when you mentioned that you present to the universities and the businesses that you work with mm-hmm. um, the problem and the solution at the same time, yeah. right? and there is something i like because when i when i like copywriting and i'm not good at copywriting but i like copywriting yeah. and there is a formula that is called pas that is problem right um agitate the problem right and the solution yes. is a, a really um uh influential way to present your your pitch so to yeah. say um, so I will, I will, I would love to know if you can, because I know that it's your own pitch, and you know that you might have in the future some competition. But if you you could present me, uh, even if it's an a rustic or a khaki way, like your your pitch, like is a problem solution. Do you do? You,
1: we, do to you, be do honest, we don't, we don't have it in in a, a format like that. We we never. We try and be as personal as possible and as personable as possible. Mm. So we, we don't do it in like a corporate kind of uh, PowerPoint presentation and slideshow kind of way. Okay. What we do is we go and have a conversation with people. We, we send them the information that they need um, via email. So, we, so to, to give you the typical kind of process that somebody would go through, so say if you, are, you own a business or say you're um, in charge of buying clothing for a university, for example, and you hoodies. contact me and you say 1,000 oh, hoodies or I want a quote for a 1,000 hoodies, what we do is rather than just give you a price, we say, right, what we want to do is learn more about you as a, as a person and your role and the university and what it wants to do on sustainability. So we immediately open that um, a conversation up rather than a transaction. So we learn about it and we say, right, so your students are interested in sustainability. We always, in the UK, we have um, a university guide which ranks the universities based on their sustainability uh, policies and things like that. So we'll look Mm -hmm. at that and um, we'll look at that and say, right, Mm -hmm. you ranked quite well or quite badly. So obviously, clothing is something that you can really use to either consolidate your place on that ranking or improve your place on that ranking. Um and then we'll wow, say yeah. we'll send them a, a personalised um PDF document with with the statistics that are based on their particular university. So say their university's got five thousand students, we'll send them something that's, that explains about organic cotton and everything um, as well as us as a business, make some suggestions on the products that might be good for them but then also the the big the key is the last slide which is the one that says if each one of your 5000 students um bought an organic hoodie rather than a conventional cotton hoodie this is the environmental environmental impact that you would have and when you present those statistics to mm-hmm. people and it, obviously like i said to you one hoodie saves 9000 liters of water or something so if you then Multiply that by five thousand students you're looking at crazy crazy numbers um and it when you present them that that is when you've you've got them essentially because nobody can nobody can say that that's not a good thing so then when it comes to setting up meetings and going and seeing people they've already had the information so we don't we don't like we don't treat yeah. it as a sales pitch as such we go and we we say you know we're glad you liked the presentation we give them some products to have a look at and we sit and we have a conversation and a coffee and and that's how we do all of our business it's not it's not a corporate kind of um transaction because i think that turns people off and a lot of the times the people that we're dealing with Mm. who are into the sustainability and they work with students and things like that they're not corporate people anyway they're they're just normal people mm. um and and that's how we want to present ourselves as well we're not a big corporate that's trying to make millions of pounds a year um we we we're, we're trying to do something good for the environment and help people at the same time um and and help businesses and institutions and uh, and universities to try and help themselves and help the environment as well so and that's kind of how we present it um to give you a bit of a flavour
0: no, no, no. I, I, I love it, man, because actually you don't come up, right? You don't come across like a Celsius mm. person, right? You're like trying to create an impact on a relationship. Yeah. So it's like, man, I think, it, and, and it's effective for yeah. you. So if it works, yeah. cool, man, cool. Um, where, where do you want to be in, let's say, five to ten years?
1: Um, This is something I think about quite a lot. I,
0: I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Before what? you... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, before you you answer. Where do you want to be in a personal level? Like you, like Dan, and where do you see business? business?
1: This this is something I think about quite a lot. So I think on a personal level, I just want to be... My ultimate goal, and I don't know whether this is five or ten years down the line or more, my ultimate goal is to have the business to a point where I can work from anywhere in the world with a laptop. Um, and you know because I work from home anyway my office is at home um, I have a workshop on site where the stuff is produced a lot of it is produced in partner factories and then shipped direct to customers so I don't actually have to have any kind of um, interaction with it personally so I can do that from anywhere with an internet connection so that's my ultimate goal is to get is to get to a point where I can I can say, right? I want to go and spend my summers in Spain, and my, you know, the autumn in America, and you see what I mean. So that's what I want to do. Um, in terms of the business, I don't know. I think I would like to. The goal for this year, um, is to turn over hundred thousand pounds, and the forecasts of, that even from the early part of this year would suggest that that, that should be doable. So then I think maybe five to 10 years, I'd like, I'd like to be able to be turning over a million pounds a year. But in reality, that would involve a lot of expansion for us and a lot of investment um, and don't want to lose personal touch. So it, it may well be that we don't. We don't yeah. do that. And we say, right, we're happy with our a lot at this point. Um, and, and, you know, we're happy with the impact that we're making every year and and then just try and maintain that rather than being aggressively, you know, expand aggressively, we can maintain what we're doing and then look at doing other things as well aside from clothing um, that, that maybe have some kind of environmental impact, whether it's charity work, tree planting schemes, and anim- stuff with animals, like we'd love to, absolutely love to be able to do some stuff um, for animals or you know helps with conservation work for rainforests and things like that i'd absolutely love to do that um and in terms of product as well we we already look at how how can we use sustainable materials in other ways so things like bedding we've looked at whether we could try and convince the hotel industry to switch their bedding to alternative materials that are more sustainable because if you think about the amount of bed sheets that the amount of hotels even in just one city must use it would be astronomical um and the impact have on the environment so it's kind of a hidden thing with the environmental impacts of textiles and cotton because it's not people aren't cutting trees down but the water that it takes and the pesticides and stuff like that that are used in cotton production conventional cotton production are really bad for the environment and um, pesticide poisoning as well of farm workers um, is is just horrendous so to be able to solve all of those problems and provide a nice product for people is great and something that I'm sure as we get bigger more people will become interested in and then if we could go to Hilton Hotels and say right, buy all of your bedding from us because it will save this amount of, of water or what have you that would be a great place for the business to be in
0: Okay, then let's get into the last section of the show. Quick questions, quick answers, okay? Yeah. Cool, here we go. You, you wrote on your, on your Instagram page uh, this quote that says, you will regret not, having, gi- not giving it a go more than trying and failing. So is there anything you would like to do if you had the chance to go back in time?
1: Um, I like I say, I try to live my life like without regrets and without kind of wishing I'd done things differently. Mm. And uh, I think any anything like that, I think at the time is exactly what you wanted to do. So I try not to regret it because you know you obviously wanted to do it at the time. It's like tattoos and people say you'll regret it, but to me, it's a it's a reminder of a time you were young and when you wanted to do exactly that so I think probably the only thing um, that I do wish I'd done differently is personally manage my money differently because I think when I was a student in kind of my first years of working and you get credit for the first time and things like that you feel like it's free money and you just spend it on holidays and things you can't really afford and nice cars and stuff so i think the um that that's probably the thing that i would change is maybe because i'm now paying for that at mm. 29 years old um that that's probably what i would do differently. i'd be a lot more responsible in terms of in terms of my own finances mm.
0: yeah i can relate with that man and let me yeah. stop for a minute here because I need to, to let them know. Um, guys, if you're listening right now, <laughs> this, is, this is incredible. We are re-recording what we recorded uh, earlier with Dan. So, again, man, I appreciate you so much that you're putting in the thought to, to come up <laughs> with the answers and, and keep with the vibe.
1: <laughs> no, we
0: do our best, don't we? <laughs> man, give me an unpopular opinion about men's mental health.
1: Um, for me, this is an easy one. So I am a big believer that this this notion of people that say you should never give up and you should always keep pushing and keep going, no matter how hard it gets. Mm. Um, I, I just don't believe that to be true. I think in certain circumstances, yes, just you should never give up just because something's tough. But in a in a situation where whether it's a job or a relationship or something like that that is making you mentally ill or physically ill or whatever, you should definitely give up, and you shouldn't. You you should you you need to swallow your pride and accept that it's not right for you and change it, um, and don't be afraid of that change. So, yeah, this this macho kind of, um, and it is mainly a, a male thing. I think of no, I never give up because I'm bloke and I, I yep. I'm a male and I and I do this. Um, and nothing will ever stop me is something that's that needs to kind of be nipped in the bud and people to accept that no you you absolutely should quit if it's not if it's not right for you and um to me that is a a braver a more courageous decision yeah. to accept mm-hmm. that something isn't right and change it rather than just blindly keep going no matter what it does to you so that's probably not very popular to some people but um, but that's what I think about that.
0: Yeah, I agree, man. I think that takes humility to mm. to embrace the fact that maybe you're new that you're not good at what you're doing, or maybe that whatever is not making you happy, right? But sometimes yeah. we have to we feel the um, the duty, so to say, to carry on with yeah. a, an an identity that we created throughout our life. Right? Yeah. So. So for example Definitely. yeah for example for you like I know that you, you you took the decision to to take a step away uh from being a, a police officer but for you if you created that mm. identity I am done I am a police officer I can't leave yeah. my job this is who I am yeah you know so I think that yeah yeah your decision was like um brave as you say man
1: yeah well, thank you yeah that's the that's that's the big thing. I think, especially in jobs like that, that are quite um, quite macho and alpha male and things mm. like that, are, 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 it's almost even more difficult to accept that not only is there something wrong, but to the point where you can't do it anymore. I think there's probably a lot of people who view that as a weakness, whereas the way I see it, and maybe it's just the mindset I have, is no it's the right thing to do yeah. it, it's the right thing to do to change it for your life for the better
0: yeah man what's ghost hunting <laughs> i love to ask this again
1: <laughs> but ghost hunting is um this yeah you've seen this on the website haven't you? <laughs> in my profile but um so i'm quite a spiritual person like i believe in in spirits and energy and things like that. And I don't try and explain I don't I can't explain it scientifically yeah. or anything like that. It's just something that I believe. Yeah. Um and ghost hunting, I don't know whether it's kind of a big thing where you are, but um over here there are obviously England has a lot of very old buildings and stuff. So mm. yeah. there'll be castles or what have you that are reportedly haunted by ghosts or spirits. And you can you can go on like organised tours almost of these places and see if you can experience anything for yourself. Um, and I, I I enjoy doing that kind of thing because I like anything that kind of pushes your understanding and knowledge of the world around you. You know, and things that you can't explain. I, I really quite enjoy. So I have had some experiences um, doing that kind of thing, which have been really interesting. Like in particular kind of footsteps in empty rooms and um things being thrown around and stuff so it's it's something that i enjoy doing it's very different to what i do day to day and and obviously what i did in my previous career but it's yeah it's something that i enjoy doing anyway
0: awesome man awesome dan pick one superpower and i know which one you're going to pick but here we are here we go again um read people's mind stop the time or become invisible at the wheel.
1: This again, I think is quite an easy one. It'd be stop the time because I think your life is so short and fleeting that you need you should you know you want to enjoy every moment, and there are certain moments I think where if you could pause it and just kind of live in that moment for a little while, it would be It would be amazing to be able to do that and see people that you, you know, loved ones that you've lost or people you've lost touch with or whatever. I think that would be an amazing thing to be able to do. And from a business point of view as well, uh, it'd be nice to be able to stop the emails sometimes and things like that that are just kind of out of control. But uh, yeah, that's what I would do anyway, try and and, uh, hold on to little moments of life that you'll never
0: get back. Awesome, man. Is there anything I should have asked, but I didn't?
1: No, I think you've covered everything in terms of what the things that I would like to speak about and everything to do with the business and my mindset on things. It's It's been really interesting, actually, because you've asked a lot of questions that have made me think about things in a different way and mm. maybe verbalize them. Uh, where that's never been done before and i've never kind of said it out loud it's just a thought process that i have that's never kind of been explained so it's so like i thank you for the opportunity to be able to get it out there and um it's it's kind of deepened my own understanding of the way i work and this business Mm. works and ideas and stuff like that so thanks for that
0: no you're welcome man i i I love your words and and that's the idea of the of the of the podcast Mm. okay then one last question. How can you improve yourself every day?
1: Um, I think I try. I'm in a bit of a, uh, a headspace at the moment where I am trying to improve myself. And I think it's it's healthy to always be in that kind of headspace. You should always be trying to improve and learn on things. But something, a couple of things that I'm trying to do at the moment is get into a better routine because you know it's very easy when you've got a new business um that that is busy or even one that's not busy i suppose to just kind of wake up in the morning pick your phone up start on the emails and then that's it and you don't take any time for yourself or any time to kind of relax and set your intentions for the day so something i'm trying to do is is get into a bit more of a routine wake up um i try and do a bit of yoga in the mornings um and just have a bit more structure and not be immediately thinking about work all the time um and another thing is that i'm that i try to do is obviously there's a lot of queuing going on at the moment like in in england you have to queue outside the shops and supermarkets and stuff at the moment because there's only a certain amount of people allowed inside so whereas most people are looking down at their phones something that i'm trying to do is is put my phone away look up and and interact with people, even though you can't be close to them, you know, just watch things, watch, watch what people are doing, read things and look in shop windows. And occasionally you'll just catch the eye of somebody that's walking past you who's also not looking at their phone and, mm-hmm. you know, you exchange a little smile and a hello. And, and that can be a really important interaction for that person because you don't know what other people are going through. And it, it might just be that somebody was really struggling and just needed somebody to, smile at them and say hello has really benefited benefited from that and it's it's something that you can do so easily and it'll make you feel better as well you know, it, being kind and being um, supportive of other people is something that is so rewarding for you as an individual as well, so that's, that's something that I think, if you are kind to somebody every day, that will definitely help you improve as a person
0: That's awesome man, and you know what I like that you have a Super sharp memory, man. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you. (laughs) Dan, I enjoyed so much the conversation. It was a pleasure. Um, Again, thank you for taking the time to re-record this section.
1: No, it's okay. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Dan.